Well, greetings to all our brethren around the world, and uh, welcome to any guests that we have here today. We're living in an age of increased scientific and material knowledge. Uh, technology gives us instant communication, so around the world, and technology gives us tools to work with. At the same time, we're facing a world of conflict, war, oppression, and potential cosmocide. The world indulges in carnality and materialism, and it rejects, rejects God's way of faith. It rejects the very faith of God. On January 24th of this year, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists confirmed the, their doomsday clock at two minutes before midnight. Uh, their official statement to leaders and citizens of the world, Regarding a new abnormal, it is still two minutes to midnight, date January 24, 2019. The current situation in which intersecting nuclear, climate, and information war threats all go insufficiently unrecognized, unsufficiently recognized and addressed when they are not simply ignored or denied is unsustainable. The longer world leaders and citizens carelessly inhabit this new and abnormal reality, the more likely the world is to experience catastrophic catastrophe of historic proportions. The more likely the world is to experience catastrophe of historic proportions. So what Jesus prophesied, uh, some are recognizing the potential that we can have worlds cosmocide, and a world that does reject God's way of life and emphasizes human governments, human knowledge, and human nature to solve the world's problems apart from God is a world without hope. The world that trusts in vanity rejects the faith of Christ and is destined to disaster. The world can only survive that exists when there is a body of true Christian called the elect. As Jesus stated, Matthew 24, verse 22, unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved except for the elect's sake. Uh, those days will be shortened. So God is going to save the world. But why is he going to save it from self-destruction? Because he has a body of converted children called the elect on this earth. He has even now on this earth men, women, and children of faith. What does this world need? The world needs God's love. It needs God's truth. And it needs men, women, and children of faith. And that's the title of the sermon today, Men, Women, and Children of Faith. Are you a man, a woman, or a child of faith? Are you living each day by faith? How can you increase your faith? Can you cite a man, a woman, or a child 
of faith. How do you exemplify faith in your everyday life? And will you have faith when Christ returns if you're still alive at that time? The sevenfold commission of the living church of God, uh, we have the statement by Dr. Meredith, mission statement number seven, build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. I hope all of you have accepted that as your mission as a part of the body of Christ. But we have the challenges to our faith. We all face challenges every day. Some of us have health problems and serious challenges that way, and financial problems, sometimes social problems, even persecution. So how do we meet those challenges? You turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. You know already Ephesians, the sixth chapter, talks about the armor of faith, the armor of God. Ephesians 6 Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, when he tells you to be strong, obviously that's a choice, but it's an instruction. And actually, that's one of the keys of increasing your faith is follow the instructions. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And we are in the evil day. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you may be able, will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And those fiery darts may include temptation. They may be, include persecution. They may be other darts thrown by the devil. In verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So how can we meet those challenges? Well, we can take above all the shield of faith. In fact, the uh, Tomorrow's World Current commentary is called Shields Up. It's on our website. Uh, Go to the commentary, uh, Shields Up. Mr. Wally Smith did a telecast. How can you defeat the devil? And that he covered all the armor of God in that telecast. It's available also on our website. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And through the sermon, we'll probably be turning to Hebrews 11 every once in a while. So uh, you'll want to mark that and put a marker in your Bible so you can come back to the book of Hebrews and the Hebrews, uh, the 11th chapter. We know that we need the faith to overcome, and the days of unleavened bread uh, teach us how to overcome. We have the Passover that reconciles us to God through the death of His Son by the shed blood. But we are putting out the leaven of malice and wickedness and putting in the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth during the days of unleavened bread. 
But we must put on the shield of faith. We also face our challenges because we take our cross daily. I won't turn there, but Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follows me. Some of us have burdens, physical burdens. I have a pain in my lower back, and some of you have pains in various parts of your body. You have a, you're taking up your cross daily. It may be a physical ailment. It may be some other kind of pressure or temptation or obstacle that you're facing daily. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the faith chapter, as you know, in verse 13, tells us about the men and women of faith that died. Verse 13, Hebrews 11, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And as we approach the Passover, you want to remember the promises that God has given you, and have you embrace them. We'll talk about some of them a little later. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. One of the greatest comments and eulogies that could be given to one of our saints who have died is that he or she died in the faith. And of course we had the funeral service just a couple weeks ago for Mrs. Shirley Apartian, who she died in the faith. And there are many others that we can remember of our ministers, ministers' wives, and our brethren around the world who were faithful to the very end. They trusted in God's promises. Here in Hebrews 10, verse 38, Hebrews 10, verse 38, it shows that we have to endure. Now, the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so, again, we have to live each day by faith and endure across to the end. Hebrews 6 and verse 11. Hebrews 6 and verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Verse 15, And so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So we have a commitment to endure to the end. We need to have that faith that will continue to the very end. How are you saved? You turn to Ephesians 2, verse 8, the one the Protestants used to say this is their means of salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. <clears throat> now, some of the Protestants say they are saved by grace alone. And so they reject a part of this scripture. And that, as you know, the uh, Mark Luther took the scripture that was Romans uh, 3, verse 23. 
He added the word alone in, in Latin. Uh, you're saved by faith alone, sola. Well, that's not in the Bible, but he went ahead and put it in there. And, of course, Dr. Meredith's uh, new book, The Plain Truth About the Plain Protestant Reformation. I hope you've read the series on the t- that uh, subject on the Tomorrow's World magazines. And we are now printing that book. It's in uh, editorial process right now, so we hope within about a month or so uh, we'll be sending you that book, uh, The Plain Truth About the Protestant Reformation. And, of course, Dr. Meredith asked that probing, m- probing question. Uh, did the Reformation turn the church back to the true, genuine church of the Bible? Anyway, we'll look, be looking forward to uh, receiving that book soon. But how are you sa- saved? You are saved by faith and grace, and that is not of yourselves. Both the faith and the grace are gifts of God, and the salvation you are saved by grace and faith, the salvation itself is a gift of God. But we have more clarification in Romans 5 and verse 8. Romans 5, starting with, <clears throat> with verse 8. I'm going to turn back there. And by the way, uh, uh, Mr. Rod McNair gave a sermon on Are You Saved? So you can be available on our website. Are you saved by Rod McNair, sermon number 862? So here we have in Romans 5 the very powerful and wonderful assurance of how we receive salvation. Romans 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that he died for the righteous. He died while we were yet sinners. Much more than having been now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, how shall we be saved? We shall be saved by his life. Jesus Christ never lives to intercede for us, it tells us in Hebrews 7, uh, verse 25. We shall be saved by his life. Salvation is past, present, and future. We have been saved from our past sins. If you've accepted Christ shed blood, we are now being saved, as it tells us in um, Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, verse uh, 13 says, he that endures to the end uh, shall be saved. And now he says, we shall be saved by his life. So salvation is present, past, and future. But whose faith saves you? Turn to Galatians, the sixth chapter. I know you know the answer to the question. <clears throat> Galatians, the second chapter, rather. Galatians 2. Now, verse 16, Galatians 2 and verse 16. Now, I'm reading the New King James. It says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ 
and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Uh, that's incorrect. Uh, it's not faith in Christ, it's the faith of Christ. The King James Version has uh, the faith, the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, and in the second uh, reference, justified by the faith of Christ. So it's not our faith, it's Christ's faith. And so Galatians 2.20, you know, the King James Version, as Dr. Meredith was his favorite verse, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, not the faith in the Son of God, but the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's Christ's faith that does save us. And there's one other reference to the faith of Christ. You have Galatians 2.16, Galatians 2.20, and Revelation 14.12, where he says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's in the New King James Version. I have it accurately in Revelation 14.12. So you have three locations um, references to the faith of Christ or the faith of Jesus. But what about your own faith? Is that required? Turn to back again to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. <clears throat> and we find in verse 6, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That's your faith. So before you're baptized, you need to have the faith that the Christ shed blood will pay for your sin. And you need to have the confidence, the evidence, the assurance and the strong belief that God is, that He exists, that He rules supreme. And of course, you know that you have your own evidence of God's existence. So He's the, the seven traditional proofs we cite. He's the Creator, Lawgiver, Lifegiver, Sustainer, Designer, the one who fulfills prophecy and the one who answers prayers. And, of course, in our booklet, Dr. Douglas Nail's booklet on proofs and promises the real God, he mentions the way of life as the proof of God as well. So you have to seek him, and, of course, he gives that promise in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 28, that if you seek him with all your heart, you will truly find him. And those who are going to be in the captivity are warned and told that as well in Deuteronomy 28. So yes, you need to have your faith as well. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek him. So I hope that you are diligently seek him. Let's turn to one, uh, well, turn to one more uh, hold your place again back in Hebrews, but Acts 20.20. 20. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly from house to house. Acts 20, verse 21. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God 
and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have repentance towards God. You repent of your sins because God is the one that made the Ten Commandments. He is the lawgiver. And you have transgressed against God Almighty and have earned the penalty of eternal death. The wages of sin is death. Romans, I'm sorry. Yeah, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is eternal death unless it is repented of. So it's repentance towards God and then faith towards Christ that you believe that His blood will pay for the the penalty of your sins, and you are accepting him as your living Lord and Master and High Priest and Savior and soon coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So yes, your own faith is required to begin with. And then after you're baptized, God gives you his faith, that is the very faith of Christ. Now when we look at Hebrews the 11th chapter, we'll take a look at uh, some of the men and women of faith. I asked the question, can you cite any men and women of faith? You can think of men and women in our own day and age, Mr. Herbert Armstrong and Loma Armstrong, who had to exercise faith against many different obstacles, Dr. Meredith, who exercised faith, and uh, many of our, our brethren who have died in the faith. But who was told and featured here as faith in the faith chapter? I won't read all of them, but to go over it rather quickly here. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. In fact, we have a sermon on our website, uh, I forget the exact title, uh, How to Please God. So it's a basic, fundamental requirement. So we have Enoch, we have Abel, verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And uh, some of us have seen the replica of Noah's ark there south of Cincinnati when we went to the feast in northern Kentucky. And uh, if you have not seen that and you're up in the Cincinnati area sometime, you certainly need to uh, tour uh, that huge ark and you realize what a work of faith Noah and his family had to build that huge ark and uh, all the engineering that went with it. And, uh, well, you'll have to see it to uh, believe it. By faith, verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country. And Sarah, verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. 
They all died in faith. But then you find again the reference back to Abraham in verse 17, Isaac, verse 20, Jacob, 21, Joseph, verse 22, Moses, uh, verse 23, on through on through about verse uh, 20, 28 and 29. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. So she was there at Jericho when all the walls came tumbling down except the wall that held her apartment. So she was saved by faith. And what more shall I say? Verse 32, For the time will fall, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets. So we have an awesome example of men, women, and faith. Can you think of any others in the Bible that would be men, women, and of faith? Well... Let's turn to uh, Matthew, the 26th chapter. It's another example of a woman of faith. And uh, this was highlighted uh, a week ago by Mr. Sheldon Munson in his series on Matthew, the 26th and 27th and 28th, the Living Youth uh, Bible study on Friday nights. Matthew 26 and verse 10. This is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Matthew 26, and uh, starting with verse 10. For she had poured this costly, fragrant alabaster fast, uh, a flask on the head of Jesus, verse 7. And then, they, of course, he was accused of saying, well, why wasn't this sold to give to the poor, verse 9. But when Jesus was aware of it, Verse 10, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. As Mr. Munson said, she set an example, trust, and commitment to God. And we must follow Jesus in faith with all that we have. So Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was a woman of faith. Turn back to Esther. Of course, Esther, we could spend a whole sermon about Esther. But we'll just take a look at one verse and see that she was willing to put her life on the line in faith to save all of her people. Of course, under the guidance of her uncle Mordecai. And remember, she was going to plead with the king, and you don't go into the king's presence without his invitation. Otherwise, it would mean her death unless he held out the golden scepter. Verse 14 is Esther 4. For if you remain completely silent this time, Mordecai is telling Esther, relief and deliverance were lies for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. 
Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Verse 16 of Esther chapter 4. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a woman of faith, Esther. What about children? Can you think of any children? Well, we think of children maybe four or five, but children are still in their teens. I turn to Daniel, the third chapter. These were teenagers. Daniel, the third chapter. They were teenagers, children of faith. Daniel 3 and verse 16. Daniel 3 and verse 16. You know, the king had told them to bow down when the music would play to the, to the idol, but they did not. <clears throat> so in Daniel 3 and uh, verse 16, if I can find it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hands, O king. Now, that's not only faith, that's bold faith. We'll see later on one of the characteristics of faith is boldness, that deacons are supposed to have Boldness in the faith. All of us need to have boldness in the faith. But if not, verse 18, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you set set up. And so you know the rest of the story. They were delivered from that. Was there any other children that you think of as children of faith? Uh, 1 Samuel the first chapter, First Samuel, we'll take a look at one or two. I think I'm going to need another hour for this sermon, but we'll see how far we get. First Samuel 1 and verse 26. And, uh, you know, this, this was Hannah. And uh, she's pleading with God that she could have a son. And uh, verse... God is uh, going to bless and answer her prayer. She said, this is 1 Samuel 1, verse 26, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you praying to the Lord. So this is after uh, she conceived and God has answered her prayer because, uh, again, uh, the priest, Eli, was uh, thinking she was drunk or something when she was actually praying her heart out. Verse 27, For the child I prayed, and the Lord is granted in my petition which I asked him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the eternal. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the eternal. So they worship the eternal there. So he grew up as a little boy, uh, being trained for the priesthood which was to follow. And he was a boy of faith. First Samuel, the 17th chapter. 
is another teenager who was one of faith. And it was not only faith, but it was bold faith. 1 Samuel 17, and starting here in verse 17. Yeah, 1 Samuel and 1 Kings here. 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Remember, Goliath was was challenging the armies of Israel. And uh, King Saul is looking for someone to go against him. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 37. Uh, David said, after David is volunteering to go ahead and fight Goliath, in verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Eternal who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So David, as you know, took the stones in his pouch and just one sling of the stone uh, killed Goliath right in the middle of his head. But notice also, when Saul is saying to uh, David, well, you're, you're too young, uh, you, you're just a little boy. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Notice the comment about David in verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he, that is David, was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Oh, yes, you have youth, children of faith. Turn to Luke, the second chapter. Luke, the second chapter. And, of course, you know who this is talking about. He was age 12, going up for the Passover with his family. He didn't. Luke the twelfth chapter, Luke the second chapter. Remember, Jesus' parents went away and they found out he wasn't with the the crowd and the group that were traveling back up to Nazareth. Luke two and verse forty nine. Luke two and verse forty nine. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So at 12 years old, Jesus said, I don't you know that I must be about my father's business. So we've seen some examples of children, men and women of faith. And what are some of the characteristics of faith? I already mentioned the characteristic of boldness. We might just uh, turn there, if I can get the, get the reference here. Are you bold in the faith? Let's turn to 1 Timothy, the third chapter, 1 Timothy 3. Here are the qualifications for a deacon. 
and uh, of course elders as well, the first part of the chapter, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 12. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and own house well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bold. Uh, David, as a shepherd boy, was bold in the faith. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. So, yes, we need to be bold in the faith. Turn to Ephesians, the third chapter, Ephesians 3. Find the uh, same characteristic of faith there as well. Ephesians 3. Starting with the breaking of the middle of a thought, created all things by Christ Jesus, Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, Ephesians 3, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So again, we have our faith, God gives us his faith, but we can also be bold in the faith. Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12. What other characteristics are there of faith? Well, faith is also a gift from God. We exercise our faith, but we also receive Faith from God as a gift. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Of course, it mentioned in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, faith, uh, faithfulness. Okay, so we have Romans, uh, the 12th chapter, uh, serving God with spiritual gifts. Uh, Verse 3, Romans 12. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God has dealt to each one of us, if we have God's Holy Spirit, a measure of faith. And we need to make sure that we are cultivating that faith. And as Dr. Meredith wrote as the mission number seven's Statement, build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. Now, some of you will be performing in the music show tonight. I don't know if uh, uh, you will be nervous or not. Some of uh, you have been given God-given gifts of, of certain musical talents. So I just want to encourage you that if you uh, have, are a little nervous, just think of 1 John 4, verse 18. Uh, perfect love casts out fear. So well, I don't have perfect love. Well, ask God for the perfect love and just give. Of course, it comes back to the whole attitude of Matthew 10 and verse 8. Freely you have received, freely give. And if you are, have that talent, uh, you are sharing and giving tonight in the music show. We'll certainly look forward to that. Uh, I won't turn there, but Proverbs 14:26, 26. 
says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And the children, and his children will have a place of refuge. So I think you want to memorize that one as well. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Well, there are degrees of faith. Some are weak in the faith. Some have strong faith. And some have radiant faith. But you need to ask God for that gift of faith. Turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus mentioned and chided his audience on many, well, I'll say many, several different occasions, uh, saying you had little faith. Matthew 6 and uh, verse 28. So Jesus says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. Verse 30, Matthew 6. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I won't turn there, but I'll just give you the reference. It's uh, uh, Matthew 8 and verse 26. He says, why are you fearful, um, O you of little faith? And then uh, Matthew 14, uh, when, of course, he, that's the story of uh, Peter wanting to walk on the water, and he saw the winds. He was walking on the water. But then he saw the wind about him and he became distracted. And, of course, Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So that's Matthew 14, verse 31. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those that were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So you can be weak in the faith. Let's turn to Romans 14. But should you remain weak in the faith? I hope not. I hope you will, even after this sermon, determine that you're going to increase your strength. You're going to be bold in the faith. You're going to be praying for the gift of faith. And you will not be weak in the faith. However, we must recognize that there are people that are weak in the faith. And so we have this admonition by the Apostle Paul in Romans, the 14th chapter, to be not judging those who are weak in the faith. Romans 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So we do have people that are weak in the faith, but we need to be strengthened. And where do we get an example of strengthening faith? Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans 4. And who is that? Well, the one we call father of the faithful. That's not an exact term, but he's called the, the father of us all here in 
talking about Abraham in chapter 4 of Romans. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore, if it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Abraham is an example of godly faith. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which not do not exist as though they did. <clears throat> so, again, uh, Romans 4, and continuing in verse 19, well, verse 18, who contrary to hope in hope believes, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, notice this, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And here, verse 21, if you haven't already marked in your Bible as a definition of faith, I should certainly highlight verse 21 of Romans 4. And being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was also able to perform. It's a definition of faith being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he's also able to perform. So you just need to ask the question, has God promised it? He doesn't say when and how he will fulfill those promises. But that is a definition of faith. And Abraham was strengthened in faith, not being weak in faith. How can you increase your faith? There are several keys I want to share with you now, and how you've already seen, that God can give us the gift of faith. Let's turn to Luke, the 17th chapter, Luke 17. Here the disciples ask the question to increase, how can they increase their faith? How can you increase your faith? Luke, the 17th chapter. starting with uh, verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you... So, again, right there is a, a major key. Do we have faith as a grain of mustard seed? He says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. You know the ASK acronym in Matthew 7.7. 7. And uh, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, God will give you. That's in John the 14th chapter, 15th chapter. He said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do or God the Father will do. But you must always have the caveat, your will be done. And there's nothing you cannot ask God to do. 
As long as you have the bottom line, your will be done and not mine. He goes on to say, And which of you, verse 7, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he had come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Verse 10, So likewise you, when you have done all these things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty to do. So there's an implication here with this story that immediately follows their question about increasing faith. Perhaps the answer is you need to be a profitable servant, not an unprofitable servant just doing your duty. You need to go above and beyond what is required of you, and God will increase your faith. So, of course, you need to grow in the knowledge of faith. How else can we increase our faith? Well, first of all, I mentioned... Well, first of all, I mentioned before that we follow God's instructions. Uh, Romans 10:14. You don't need to necessarily turn there. It's a memorization verse. How do we grow in faith? How does faith come? Romans 10:17. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you're lacking faith. Get your nose in the Bible, get to blow the dust off your Bible, as Mr. Armstrong used to say, and, and read your Bible, as Dr. Meredith said. Saturate your mind with the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In other words, follow instructions. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Matthew 4.4 4 and Luke 4.4. 4. There are three, four times... The Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. We'll just turn to uh, one of them, but I'll just give you the reference. Uh, Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17, saying, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17. Galatians 3.11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. That's Galatians 3.11. Let's turn to Hebrews the 10th chapter, however. Hebrews the 10th chapter, because we're, again, uh, surrounding the faith chapter. Hebrews 10. And uh, verse 38, the fourth uh, reference of the instruction to live by faith. Hebrews 10 and verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So again, we have that instruction. But how do you live by faith? We're told four times the just shall live by faith. How do you do that? Well, one of the major answers to the question is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. So we'll turn back there to Proverbs 5, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. You live by faith 
by your actions, your thoughts, your deeds 24-7. That means acknowledging God in everything that you do and think and say. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's another way of saying exercise faith. We have on our currency, the United States currency, a motto, in God we trust. The motto first appeared in the United States coins in 1864 during the Civil War. And on July 30th, 1956, Congress passed a law that the motto should appear on paper currency for the United States as well. In God, we trust. And of course, we know that increasingly our nation is rejecting that very statement and will pay the consequences for that rejection. But God tells us to trust in him. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the eternal with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Well, I think this is the way I ought to go. Well, God didn't do what I asked him to do, leaning to your own understanding. But notice verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I've shared with you before about my wife wanting to pray about everything. We're going shopping, and oh, let's pray. Well, I no, I don't know. No, okay, I'll I'll pray, you know, and ask God to bless the shopping, and God blesses the shopping. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. That's a promise. But that's how you live by faith. Because you, why are you doing that? Because you belong to Jesus Christ, who bought and paid for you by His blood. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Don't know you not that you are bought with a price, that you are not your own? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. You belong to Him. So that's why you acknowledge Him in all your ways. As I was telling the living education students in the assemblies Thursday. You you acknowledge God in every way. You brush you brush your teeth. You don't have to pray about it <laughs> every little action you do, but are you in harmony with God's laws of physical health? Are you in harmony with God's laws of relationships, loving God with all your heart, soul and mind and strength and loving your neighbors as yourself? So How do you live by faith? You acknowledge God in all his way. Colossians 3 backs that up. But I hope you have memorized and know and are living by Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Colossians 3, 16 also reinforces that same concept of acknowledging God in all your ways, whatever you're doing. Colossians 3. Verse 16. I've had a sermonette on this some years ago, I remember. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Well, you have to read the Bible and let it soak in, meditate on it in order for it to dwell in you. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever action, whatever thought you do, it's done in the name of Christ. Why? Again, because he's bought and paid for you, as we just cited in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. One of God's faithful servants, Herbert W. Armstrong, talked about his personal struggle and his eventual repentance. That's in his autobiography, the autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong, chapter 17. And this is what the heading here is, Joy in Defeat. Mr. Armstrong wrote, This surrender to God, this repentance, this giving up of the world, of friends and associates, of, of and of everything, was the most bitter pill I ever swallowed. Yet it was the only medicine in all my life that ever brought a healing. For I actually began to realize that I was finding joy behind, beyond words to describe in this total defeat. I had actually found joy in the study of the Bible, in the discovery of new truths, heretofore hidden from my consciousness, and in surrendering to God in complete repentance, I found unspeakable joy in accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior and my present High Priest. So that's in the Autobiography, Volume 1, Chapter 17. The Passover, as we heard the sermon at, is just a little less than eight weeks away. Some of you may want to consider counseling for baptism. And if so, you need to contact Mr. D. Simone, who gave the announcements or Mr. Rod McNair, our associate pastor. So true repentance brings a great joy uh, to sinners. And uh, you need to ask God for repentance, because there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. How are you going to prove your faith? Turn to James, the second chapter, James 2. So, yes... You acknowledge God in all your ways because you have totally surrendered to Him. You've given your mind, body, soul, and spirit to God. James, the second chapter. But what kind of faith is it that God expects of us? It's a living, active faith. It's a faith that is demonstrated by action at times. James 2 and verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So you can believe, but what are you believing? What kind of faith is it? But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 21, James 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And this scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. 
Now, Galatians and Romans also mentioned that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But James shows what kind of faith it is, what kind of belief Abraham had and how he proved it with his actions. You see then, verse 24, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. It's demonstrated by the fruits of faith. How else can you increase your faith? Well, we talked about reading the Bible, and Dr. Douglas Winnale gave a sermon, number 899, the Bible key to faith. So, yes, you can grow in faith, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But you can also grow in faith by claiming God's promises. Second Peter I've talked about that quite a few times, claiming God's promises, but that's how you show your faith and how you can increase in your faith. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one and verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. People are greedy. They want to have mansions or fast race cars or whatever it may be, jewelry and position and power. But God says, I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Jesus chided His audience, Oh, you of little faith. So we need to know what our faith is directed toward pertain to life and knowledge through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So through God's promises, you can overcome. And uh, he goes on to say that you need to add, verse 5, For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And he gives all these other characteristics and said in verse 11, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to be faithful even to the very end. Turn to Revelation, the 17th chapter. Revelation 17. Will you have faith when Christ returns? Will you live and die in the faith? I'm thankful that so many of our brethren died in the faith, as we saw in Hebrews 11 and verse 14. But who's going to be with Jesus Christ when he returns after the seventh trumpet sounds and he gathers all the saints from the four corners of the earth to go with him up to the sea of glass for the wedding. Here in Revelation, the 17th chapter, it talks about that uh, great battle of Armageddon, third world war that will take place, and the beast power and all the armies of the earth fighting against Christ and his army, and we will be a part of his army. Revelation 17:14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him 
are called, chosen, and faithful. So, brethren, I hope that we will be faithful to the very end. If we think of Noah who worked hard to build an ark because we, just as Noah, have a work of faith and we must be faithful to the end. Noah worked hard to build this huge ark and completed a work of faith. Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness. He was an example of completing a work of faith. And today we are dedicated to the mission Christ has given us as a daily work of faith. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world is a witness, and then the end will come, as it says in Matthew 24:14. Dr. Meredith wrote a semi-annual letter, April 30th, 2014. It was mailed to 440,000 Tomorrow's World subscribers around the world. This is what he wrote, quote, As many of you know, this is the work of the living Christ. It is a work of faith because we truly try to follow the Bible and trust in God. We have been given special insight into the truly big events and trends which will be affecting your life in the next several years. He said, this is the work of the living Christ. It is a work of faith. And we all know John 4, verse 34, when Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. We have the responsibility of exemplifying an active faith. We have a work of faith. We are exercising that active faith. We are striving to increase our faith. And we are dedicated to the greatest work of faith on earth today, preaching the good news of the coming kingdom of God on earth. Turn to Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke 18. Here, you would probably know, is the parable of the importunate widow. She is importuning, and she continues to persevere in that prayer. And Jesus said, after giving that parable, Luke 18, and verse 7. And shall not, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Are you crying out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. If we're crying out to God day and night, he will avenge us speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He will really find faith in his true believers, because we already read in Matthew 24, verse 22, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Oh, brethren, let's commit ourselves to endure to the end. Let's commit ourselves or renew our commitment to live and die in the faith, as we read in Hebrews 11:13, Let's commit ourselves to build an atmosphere of faith. Let's commit ourselves to live every day by faith because we are serving in the greatest work on earth today, the greatest work of faith on earth today. So rejoice in your calling. 
to serve our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice in your calling as men, women, and children of faith.